the Shy Chat Podcast, stories that connect. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shy Chat Podcast. This is your host, Peter Raimholt, and I'm happy you've joined us again. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and able to find the silver lining in all the family time at home. I don't know about you, but March felt like it lasted seven weeks and April felt like seven seconds. Hopefully you've been able to get some exercise outside or find another way to differentiate each Groundhog Day that we're living in. I recently got the opportunity to chat with Heather Weiss, a director on our KBMG Business School team in Chicago. She joins the show in the middle of a global health crisis to talk about her own personal crisis a few years ago. We discuss the events that led to her heart transplant and she details her recovery and changing perspective on life. Heather shares her own lessons learned, including listening to your body, advocating for yourself, and valuing family. So unfortunately, Heather, we're in this, this crisis time where we're in quarantine and not, we can't be together for this recording, but I'd like to ask you, how's your quarantine time been going so far? You know, it's going okay. Um, my new coworkers here at home are my husband and my almost three-year-old. So uh, <laughs> I work from home on a pretty regular basis. I, I am not used to sharing my workspace with these two these two guys, but um, we uh, we're lucky. We're, we're a little family, and we're we're getting by. So you and your husband taking taking turns with your son. We're we're taking some shifts. Uh, today is more of my workday shift, so that's that's a good thing. But um, we're trying to have lunch together and take a break at the end of the day. And if we ever, you know, get a good day, we we definitely all try to to spend a little time outside. That's definitely keeping us going. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, maybe that's the silver lining is the additional family time that we get through this uh, through this period. It is. It definitely is nice to be to be home. I think um, you know we worry a little bit about the kids and how they're doing in this environment and. Definitely, my son is a little young to know what's going on, but I know that he's—I uh, know that he's happy, and I know that he's happy to be spending so much time with us. We'll see how he does when we have to go back to school. That'll be a different story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, all right, Heather. Well, I want to say thanks for coming on to the show. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, how we, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, is that we're kind of in the middle of a global health crisis right now. Um, and I know you had your own personal crisis a few years ago. Uh, would you like to start with uh, telling everybody about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about eight, a little over eight years ago, I was the uh, a heart transplant recipient. So I, uh, I was diagnosed about a year and a half before my transplant with a disease called dilated cardiomyopathy. And um, yeah, and, and I went through quite a bit of, of uh, treatment and, and different options with, with my doctor, sort of progressing from one thing to the other. Uh, they don't sign you up for a transplant right away, right? That's kind of the last, uh, mm-hmm. the last resort. So, and, you know, we had some medication, and then I had a, a couple of different procedures, including sort of crazy experimental procedure that my doctor said had worked for about a handful of people in the world, um, but we went for it anyway, and that's the awesome thing about being at a, a hospital like Northwestern, they um, they really, you know, pull out all the stops for their patients. But uh, unfortunately, none of that, none of that worked for me. And eventually, yeah, I needed to be listed for transplant. Wow. So, I mean, you, you kind of, you kind of went from being fine to heart transplant. I'm sure there's got to have been some stages in the middle. Uh, like, there, when, yeah. when did you first realize that you weren't feeling well? Or what were the, the symptoms that kind of led up to this? Yeah, I definitely it did feel like I um, I went from um, 
from running to, to doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, but I, I was diagnosed um, by my doctor. I, I had gone in just to see my primary, um, my primary care physician, and I was feeling a little bit tired, which, you know, I didn't rush over to the doctor because I was tired, right? Everybody's tired. Um, I thought maybe I had a, glu you know, I wanted to do a glucose check and a couple other things, but I really didn't think, um, you know, I didn't think anything much of it. I was, I was tired, but feeling fine. Um, I would say definitely feeling fine. And we did an EKG in the office, and um, he didn't like the way it looked, and so he sent me off for some blood work, and he sent me off for some um, for some tests. I had an MRI and um, an echocardiogram, and uh, from those tests, you know, right away he diagnosed me um, with this with this heart disease um, over the phone on a Friday night because I know he wanted to make sure that I knew um, everything that he knew, and um, I think he booked me in, in with a cardiologist. He took care of all that for me like Monday or Tuesday the next week. So. Yeah, I went from being fine to uh, having kind of a late-night conversation with my doctor on a Friday to being a cardiology patient um, within a few days, you know, after that. Um, but but even during that time, I really was mostly feeling okay. Um, I, you know, like I said, my, uh, my doctors are all at Northwestern, so I would walk there from the office. Um, it was summer, and it, you know, I took advantage of the weather, and that, that wasn't a problem for me at all. But as things got worse and as I went through various treatments that didn't work, um, you know, I got to a point about, I mean, it took, probably took about a year, but I got to a point um, later where I could barely cross the street. It was so hard for me to walk. I would be so tired. Um, and a kind of tired that is, made my initial tired look like nothing. That's crazy that it, it got that bad that quickly. Is, is that something where you went from, okay, there's a definite change to I can't even work any longer? Like, were you able to keep working through through everything you just described? Yeah, I mean, you know, good decision or bad decision, I kept working um, pretty much until the absolute last minute that I, I couldn't work. Um, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I, I would, you know, go to my doctor's appointments, and, and, you know, one of the great things about KPMG is it's a really flexible environment, so even though it felt to me that I was at the doctor, like, all the time, um, you know, I was able to keep doing it. I was traveling, um, I was, you know, I, I, I um, you know, I, I managed it for, for a pretty long time until, again, I really physically... Um, you know, couldn't manage it anymore. Um, actually, in fact, I had, um, you know, had an emergency where I, I had to, to stop working sort of immediately. It was less of a choice as I had um, envisioned it, but, you know, that's, uh, there, there, there wasn't, uh, wasn't anything I could do about that. But I, I kept on working for a pretty long time, for better or worse. So, Heather, you mentioned you had an emergency and that forced you to stop working. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I was uh, actually in, in the hospital um, at the time um, for just some routine testing, and I, you know, had an emergency and uh, ended up on, on life support uh, for a couple of days and had to have uh, a ventricular assist device um, put in, which is uh, basically a pump that keeps your heart going when your heart is not able uh, to do it themselves. Uh, I actually, I, I knew... I think that I was going to have to go on a leave of absence um, was kind of gearing up for that, but hadn't uh, hadn't actually gotten far enough in, in my process or maybe wasn't quite ready uh, mentally to accept that. But, you know, time, things changed very quickly uh, for me during that time. And, uh, yeah, I woke up from surgery and did not know, you know, a few days had passed. Uh, very quickly realized that I now had a, uh, a, a pump <laughs> keeping my heart going, um, and I was in the ICU. And then I was in the hospital after that for about six weeks uh, recovering from that surgery. So, yeah, it was all it, – it's not to say that it was unexpected because I was getting quite sick. I, I was certainly aware of that. I was um, 
had a uh, um, an IV that I um, had you know every day that was giving me an infusion of medication um, just to sort of get me through every day. So again, not like a complete surprise that things were not going well, but I did not. Uh, I definitely did not think they were going that uh, that poorly at, at that point. But there you go. Absolutely. Um, and then you mentioned that ventricular assistance device. Is that like a pacemaker? It's not dissimilar to a pacemaker. A pacemaker is actually implanted in your body. Um, this ventricular assist device is outside your body, if you can even imagine what that is like. You have a um, there's a device that goes in and basically a power cord. Uh, that comes out, and then there's an external battery pack. So whereas the batteries are, are quite small for a pacemaker and they can be implanted, the, the batteries are for this are humongous and heavy, yep. and I had to wear them like a purse for um, for a long its own little its own little bag um, for a long time. And those batteries again are really what's uh, what's keeping everything going. So again, there's uh, you know there's there's they they take all account of, of not putting any of that that power source you know at risk. So you have to carry around extra batteries all the time. The people mm -hmm. um, around me had to have a little uh, training to go through in case anything were to happen. It makes these, made these alarms that were you know, ear piercing so that you would really know um, if something was going on. Uh, and it really, you know, makes you uh, realize that this is, this is what's, you know, essentially keeping you, keeping you alive. But um, you may remember this is about the same time, actually, that Dick Cheney um, went through uh, surgery as well and had a ventricular assist device. Uh, so never thought I'd have really anything in common with that guy, but there you go. Um, he actually helped me explain it to people because he was you know, in the news quite a bit right around that time. Oh, that makes sense. Well, um, I'm not a medical expert, but I think you're a little bit younger and healthier than he was at the <laughs> time. So your situation seems a little more shocking to me. I, I th it was shocking, yeah, definitely to to a lot of people. And again, as I said, I sort of was dawning on me that I was going to have to, um, you know, to be away from the office and go on leave of absence. But uh, I, it was ended up sort of being shocking to me as well. It's, it's a pretty hard thing to uh, to come to grips with. I mean, absolutely. It's 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 just a it's incredible to think about that. Um, okay, so you talked about your six weeks in the hospital. Um, so what happened after that? Were you able to go home, or what was the next step on the journey? Yeah, so after that, um, I went um, home. I, I, again, had to be with somebody at all times to sort of make sure that if anything were to happen with these batteries or with my device, that there was someone there who could um, help me and make sure I got to the hospital or, um, you know, took care of whatever needed, need, you know, might need to happen. So I uh, lived with my parents during that time mm -hmm. you know, for, I guess that was probably about six months um, between the time I was, uh, you know, discharged from the hospital and then waiting for um, waiting for my transplant on the transplant list. And, and during that time, I just, uh, you know, was sort of instructed to, to try to get better, uh, try to get stronger as much as possible. So that started off being, you know, a walk to the mailbox and then a walk to the house next door and eventually, uh, you know, walks around around the block. Um, it was all really hard at first. Again, you, you don't think about these things, about how hard they could possibly be, things that you you take for granted, but um, that I had to build up so much strength. You really lose quite a bit when you're when you're in the hospital for an extended period of time. So that was really, you know, my mission was to get as healthy as possible, uh, you know, so I could be ready for another pretty major surgery, um, you know, when I had my transplant. But you know, there were some ups and downs during that period too. I would never have described it as being entirely stable. There were, you know, a few additional times that I was back in the hospital for for some various complications, but. Um, mostly, mostly resting and, and recovering and waiting. So, 
I imagine so. Um, so then in that period of time, were there any additional procedures or anything that you had to go through or is it more just a waiting and just get healthy period? Yeah, that, that particular time was really just waiting, um, you know, maintaining medication, maintaining doctor's appointments, again, a few, few hospital stays, uh, in, in the mix there, but that, that was waiting. All the sort of, um, testing and, and trials and, and other things that I had gone through were, um, all to, you know, to try to get me, um, you know, to try to stall things and try to, try to get me away from the situation I was in or, or try to, um, try to, you know, heal some of the function um, in my heart, but but none of those, uh, unfortunately, were effective. It just, I, you know, continued to uh, to decline until uh, until I had that, you know, that additional surgery. Okay, so then you're waiting and you're you're trying you're trying your best, being with some friends, family, um, and then eventually, uh, do you just get a call about the transplant? Do you get an email? Like, t- tell us how tell us how you heard, first heard about that. Yeah, it's a, it's about, I mean, I don't think you could, I don't know if everybody gets a call in the middle of the night, but I got a call in the middle of the night, so just exactly <laughs> like, like you, like you sort of would expect, um, you know, and they said that the transplant team was on their way out, um, they had a good match, and they were on their way out to, to sort of check everything out and make sure everything looked okay, so that I should, uh, should get myself situated and, and head on down to the hospital. So, uh, yeah, I, I said, you know, how much time, how much time do I have here? Um, and they said, you know, you, it, they're not on their way or anything. I said, great. Uh, my mom and I both uh, took a shower. You know, I knew I might not have that <laughs> chance for another couple of days. Yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really <laughs> making sure I got that in. And, um, and yeah, we headed, uh, we headed downtown. And then, and then there was, uh, you know, I met some of the doctors and, um, you know, got ready for that. There's, uh, you know, the, the team has to be, you know, 100% confident that they have the best match for you. So I, I have heard of the scenario where, the, the team goes out and, and then something is, is not as they had hoped and they're not happy with, um, you know, with the organ and they, they might, you know, reject it at that point. And I just honestly could not think of anything worse than being in the hospital wearing a gown and a hairnet and, you know, all those things and, um, and then telling you, you know, false alarm, it's time to go home. So I, I was pretty worried about that, you know, until, until Probably I was unconscious, but obviously um, everything looked good, and and I went into surgery, and you know came out some number of hours later, and um, you know it, it's been you know and then another recovery, right? That's that's another open heart surgery, but you know it's yep. been it's been it's been up, uh, been on the up and up since then. So it was uh, it's a it's a crazy experience, and it's very. I think people ask a lot about. Um, that surgery and what having the transplant is like, but it was really all the other times when we were trying to take measures and they weren't working and it was continuing to wear me down and my heart function was less than 50% of, you know, the average person, that all of those things were really hard and I felt, you know, each of those sort of made me feel progressively worse even though we were trying to, um, you know, to, to feel better. It's just very, very hard to recover when your body is not working very well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people are surprised to hear that the transplant was the easiest part of, of the journey, if you can kind of imagine that, because now I had a heart that was working at 100% function. And so all of a sudden, you know, that recovery becomes so much easier. You know, I'd had surgery six months earlier, and I was in terrible shape, and it was a really tough recovery. Yep. But now I have this strong new heart, and that's, you know, pumping blood through my body at, at again, the right the right rate and all my organs and, and you know it's it was um 
again, if you really think about it, it's exactly what you what you would think it would be like, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, that's what it's supposed to do. And then now, Heather, as you look back on the, the last couple of years, uh, what are like some of the lessons you've learned from, I guess, pre and post transplant about yourself and um, and and listening to your body and, and just the lessons learned throughout throughout going through this whole process? Yeah, well, you, I think you mentioned the first one, which is just you know listening, um, you know, listening to your body and listening to yourself. I think we all um, can have the tendency to push push on and ignore things and. Um, you know, we're, we're busy, right? And nobody has time to be sick. But, um, you know, there's, there's nothing better than I did than say, you know, I feel weird. Something is off. And, um, you know, going to my doctor. And I'm so lucky that I have such a involved primary care physician who, you know, took more than the 15-minute appointment that sometimes, you know, you feel like you get and um, ran all those tests and, and did all that for me and made the effort to, you know, call me late at night and connect me with the right people and, I'm, I'm always grateful for that, but you have to just, you know, you have to know, you have to know um, when, you know, when things are off. And, and I'll say, even though you asked me earlier about, you know, how long I kept working or, or what I did, and I think that was probably the right thing for me at the time. It was a really hard um, diagnosis to understand. Um, I was, you know, young and I was healthy, I thought, <laughs> um, and I was feeling okay. And I think that in that case, denial um, probably helped me a little bit to kind of get, get through that time. But, um you know, I, I wouldn't do it that way again, right? Um, I'm I'm a lot more um, just aware of that. You know, if I don't I don't feel good, I'm I'm taking the day off, and I'm you know I I I try to make sure that you know you put the time in in the in the front, right, to take care of yourself so things don't um, don't blow up on the back end. So that that to me is a big a big thing, and I certainly encourage you know my family to to be the same. Um, okay, so uh, you've had it for eight years. Is there um, like a life on hearts? Is there amount of time that a a heart will last? Is it good for the rest of your life or does it depend? Uh, yeah, I think it, you know, it depends, I'm sure, by individual. And, and what I've heard is maybe somewhere around 20 years is what you can expect. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm eight years into that. I, I think that with the changing medical protocols that are continuously evolving, I think that time is getting um, longer and longer, which is fantastic. And, mm-hmm. um you know, again, it's it's all so quick how everything is is evolving. So it's honestly not something I think about very often. Hopefully, I'm I'm less than halfway, you know, through that period, and and maybe maybe even even less as as things you know, continue to change. But I'm also pretty convinced that I'm not going to necessarily need another heart transplant. I think just with the rapid rate of innovation, um, you know, in medical science, I think the next thing for me is going to be something. Different. I hope it is. Um, you know, I don't know if they're gonna print one um, with a three D printer or grow one with stem cells. But there's just so many things. And um, thinking that I have a pretty long runway, there's there's so much opportunity for for advancement that I, um, I, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure of that. But that's just uh, maybe that that's my hope is that things you know things continue to evolve. And even though heart transplant is, is probably the most dramatic transplant, I mean, there's tons of people mm-hmm. waiting for for you know, many, many, um, you know, different types of organs. So I know that the, uh, you know, the science is, is working as quickly as possible to get people, you know, some different alternatives. And, and I, I can't imagine we're, we're that far off from it. You know, the other thing, as I said, you know, my doctors have all been so great and so supportive. But, um, you know, the other thing you always need to do is advocate for yourself. Again, if, if something doesn't feel right for your body, you need to raise it. And if something doesn't feel right with, like, your treatment or, Anything else that's that's going on, you're not getting the attention you need. Um, you know that's something you have to keep keep pushing for. Um, 
you know, it doesn't always feel like that's easy to do because there's other experts, right? Um, but you're the expert in yourself. And so asking questions and, and being aware and, and I think, you know, just making sure that you leave every appointment you have comfortable um, is, is the biggest thing, you know, for me. Um, you know, I, I have, I just actually did a bunch of uh, spring cleaning, right, like a lot of other people, and I found a, uh, a notebook where I had taken all these notes um, from all these different doctor's appointments and um, stuff I had looked up online and follow-up questions and all that. And um, luckily, I don't find myself in that scenario very often where I need to be, like, so prepared and have so much research and information. But, um, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad I did, and I, I felt that I was always, um, you know, I, I always had the attention I needed, but I, I know that's not always easy, right? Yeah, well, it sounds like you really took took control of your own treatment, um, which it sounds like it, uh, it served you well. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that I, you know, that is sort of a, a joke with my family is I have, a, I'm like a, a resident in cardiology, right? I know, <laughs> I know a lot of things. Yeah. Um, okay, so in addition to some of the physical treatment you've got, um, I imagine there's been some, uh, you know, you, your, your perspective has changed and you kind of probably had a, a new attitude on life. So right now is a kind of time where people have been at home for a while. There's some loneliness. Uh, there's some negative attitudes, some depression that perhaps has been going on. Uh, what's like a piece of advice or a lesson that you learned throughout this time that could be helpful for us that are uh, quarantining? Yeah, listen, I um, I have all those feelings too, right? It's really hard to be at home, especially I think um, when you have kids at home and, and no matter what their age are, you know, you want to give everything to your family, you want to give everything to work, and, and there's only so much time, right, in the day. Um, and so I know a lot of people feel torn and, and, and you know, things are not, um, you know, things are not easy for sure for anybody right now. But, you know, it sounds crazy, but... I look back on some of the time, even when I was in the hospital. I mean, six weeks seems like a terrible amount of time to be in the hospital, but I sort of look back on it a little bit fondly. I know that sounds, and even being with my, my family, but there was there were good things, you know. There were good things there, um, and I think we're going to hopefully look back on, on this time as well. I know I was talking to somebody today who was saying that she's, you know, connecting with people in different ways and people she might not have connected with um, previously, and I know... With the holidays, um, you know, Passover and Easter, I think a lot of us did um, some virtual, you know, family time, and that was different. But it, 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 there's a lot of things that we, we can do. I don't think it means every day is going to be awesome. I don't think it means every day is going to be easy. Um, but I think that hopefully we can look back and, and see, you know, see the positives that came out of it. And, and we'll have to see, right, how we're all kind of changed mm -hmm. and how the way we work might be changing. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot more to come. And I think the other thing that I know is that it's all relative, right? I mean, I felt like I was sick for a really long time, but a year and a half, considering how sick I was, is not that long. Um, when you think about a lot of people out there with chronic illness and other things that they're facing. And, and I think the same thing for this scenario, right? Again, every day is so long, so I'm not suggesting um, that any of this is, is easy or quick, but hopefully it will be a blip for all of us, right? And we'll we'll get past it. So um, I don't have any amazing advice, but I think at the end of the day, we'll we'll look back and we'll be okay. Yeah, I, we really appreciate your your candid responses and and coming on and, and answering a few questions here, Heather. I, yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, before I let you go, Heather, I got uh, we are going to do our traditional lightning round, which we're going to ask you a few questions. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, just answer quick, and uh, we'll we'll see what comes out of it. You ready to go? 
I mean, I'm not good at this, so I already feel nervous, but yes, go ahead. No, no pressure here. Um, all right, number one, what's the last book you've read? You know, I can't think of the last one I read, but I did recently read a book about these children who catch on fire when they are agitated, and it's come to mind a lot recently just because I'm thinking about all of us cooped up in our houses with our kids all the time, which is not great, but I guess better than if they actually caught on fire, right? So, again, <laughs> there, there's some perspective for you. There's a kid living in the apartment next door that I think might literally be on fire how often he's seen it, so I gotta check that one out. Um, all right, number two, uh, what show do you enjoy binge watching? Um, we are watching Ozark right now, um, my husband and I, and we are really enjoying that. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of, it's dark, and uh, it, at least it makes us feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Love it. <laughs> um, okay, on the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, what's, uh, what's your favorite way to stay active during the quarantine? Oh my gosh, I, I wish I was honestly doing a better job at this, but we are all um, heading outside as often as we can. Um, luckily, it's, it's been a little bit better right in the last um, couple days, and we had a beautiful weekend, but even when it was like, you know, anything over 30, we'll put on, we'll put on our, our gloves and hats and head outside for, for a family walk, so that's, that's been really good for us. It's amazing how much just a few minutes outside kind of can, can change your mood after being inside for it really, hours at the end. <laughs> it does, and I would, I'm, I'm not a cold weather person at all, so if I'm tramping outside in 35 degree weather, you know I'm, this is serious business. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, number four, what's your cell phone uh, wallpaper right now? Uh, my wallpaper is a picture of my son, and he's wearing my sunglasses, because that's kind of always a battle. He has his own, but needs to wear mine. Uh, precious. I love it. Um, okay, and last one. Uh, what's the best floor in the Chicago office and why? Uh, well, I am uh, recently uh, moved to 57, but I, I had been 61, I think, for my whole my whole time here. But obviously, 68 is, is the new best floor. Yeah, it's hard to beat. It's a pretty top-notch uh, build-out we've done there. So. Mm -hmm. All right, well, uh, Heather, thanks again. Appreciate you coming on the show, and... Uh, Hope you have a good, positive rest of the quarantine, and we can uh, get back to work sooner rather than later. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Shy Chat Podcast with your host, Peter Raimholt. For more information about the American Heart Association or Heather's story, please reach out to Heather Weiss at heatherweiss at kpmg.com. If you like what you heard, spread the word. And if you or someone you know has an extraordinary story that you think we should hear about, please contact Aaron Bailey at ebailey at kpmg.com or myself at prainbolt at kpmg.com.